So, who was in the right? Was it Paul? Paul insisted that the one who once turned away from the gospel ministry should stay out of it. Was he right? Or was Barnabas right? Barnabas insisted that the failures of a young believer is not the end of his usefulness. Was Barnabas right? I think we understand uh, Paul's concerns. We also see the validity of Barnabas' point of view. Uh, sadly, neither man yielded, and their sharp disagreement made it impossible to serve the Lord together. And so, a ministry partnership that had withstood hostility, that had withstood physical assault, a ministry partnership that had come through heresy ended over a disagreement. So what do we make of this? Well, the first thing I'd like to draw your attention to this morning is the comfort of gospel ministry. The comfort of gospel ministry because as it always is the case, we need to look at the events and the development of this passage in view of their context. Now, if you remember all the way back to the beginning of the chapter, we saw how some men came from Judea and taught that Paul's gospel, and what was Paul's gospel? Paul's gospel was the message of salvation by faith in Jesus. It is the message that said, the sinners are reconciled to God and have peace with God, not on the basis of the quality of their lives, not because they have obeyed God's law, but sinners find peace with God and are justified and welcomed into his kingdom as beloved sons and daughters because they have put their faith in Jesus and trust in the quality, if I can put it this way, trust in the quality not of their own lives, but the quality of Jesus' obedience and death and resurrection. That was Paul's gospel. But these men, they arrived from Judea, and they taught that Paul's gospel was a perversion of the true gospel of the real Jerusalem apostles. And they summarized their message in verse 1. They said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Understandably, this teaching caused a great turmoil. And so the Antioch church sent Paul and Barnabas to consult with the Jerusalem apostles and elders. And so the Jerusalem council was convened. And so the Jerusalem council met and very carefully weighed the matters and clearly affirmed Paul's gospel of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And then the council then wrote a letter to repudiate the false teachers. You see, these false teachers that arrived from Judea, they name-dropped the apostles. They claimed the apostles' name and their authority without their blessing. 
Now, the apostles sent Judas and Silas as their official representatives. These are the men who truly come in the name of the apostles with their authority. And so we read in verse 30, So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered their letter. And so Luke documents how the council's letter is brought to Antioch, and that's what we read today in verses 30 through 35. And then Luke tells us how the letter is brought to Syria and Cilicia in verses 36 through 40. And you notice how the Antioch Christians received the letter with joy. What relief it must have been having been so confused and thrown into a turmoil because some people are telling them, you cannot be saved unless you're perfect. Could you even for one moment think there is any comfort to be had in that message? You cannot be saved until and unless you keep every single commandment of Scripture without flaw, without exception, without ever taking a pause or break. And to hear that they are right with God. No matter who they are, no matter where they have been, no matter what they have done, they are right with God because of Jesus' death and resurrection. What relief that must have been. And so they received the letter with joy. And Judas and Silas, we read, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Now, they were prophets, not in the sense of foretelling the future, but they received their title from their function. And they were prophets in the sense that they were the skillful teachers of prophetic scriptures. And if you remember from last week's passage, we saw how James defended the true gospel of salvation by faith by carefully considering the words of the prophet Amos. And so Judas and Silas, likewise, encouraged the Gentile believers through faithful exposition of God's prophetic promises. What, after all, what, after all, can bring peace to guilt-stricken conscience? What, after all, can embolden the souls of men and women who are hard-pressed by life's many trials to grab hold of God Almighty as their loving Father? There's nothing that can do that except the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just something that we Christians respond to and think about at the very beginning of our Christian life. But the gospel comforts Christians throughout their entire life. As we struggle with our daily and indwelling sins, it's the gospel that tells us, though we are weak, though we often stumble, we have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ as we face life's harsh trials, as we are beat down, as we are discouraged, we look at the surrounding circumstances of our chaotic lives and then we remember 
we can claim God Almighty as our loving Father because of what Jesus has done for us. And be assured that even in ways that we cannot see or understand, our loving Father is working out His gracious purpose for us. How do we know that? Because of the gospel. And that is the comfort of gospel ministry. And with that, we come to the second observation, which is the rigors of gospel ministry, the rigors of gospel ministry. And so we read here that Paul and Barnabas ministered to the Antioch Christians for some time. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul is a wise pastor. And so Paul knows that Christians need a steady encouragement of the gospel to persevere in their faith. Because without a regular instructions, believers are left vulnerable to false teachings. And without regular instruction and encouragement in the Lord, we lose heart in life's many trials. And so Paul, he wanted to go back. He, he desired to go back. Go back where? Even to the very cities where he was assaulted, where he was stoned, where he was opposed. He wanted to go back to these very cities so that he can build up the believers. Now, if Paul did not know the first time around what kind of reception he would receive in these places, well, as he thinks about going back, he knows now, doesn't he? He knows exactly what to expect from these places that relentlessly persecuted, attacked, rejected him. And I think that, it seems to me, explains Paul's reaction to Barnabas, who, who wanted to take with them John called Mark. Now, John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. And you remember from chapter 13 how John Mark had initially accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their missionary trip to Cyprus. Uh, but we also read in chapter 13 that John, John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And that is why we get this reaction from Paul in chapter 15, verse 38, when Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along with them, in verse 38 we read, Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. You see, Paul, Paul knew to what kinds of places he was about to return. Paul knew the dangers that lay ahead. And you see, the burdens and the rigors of the gospel ministry are such that hardship and discouragement abound. And only a strong sense of God's calling will resist the thousand temptations to give up. But the fact of the matter is that John had given up. And he had given up before ministry became really 
difficult. And Paul could not take him. If John Mark had given up, even before things became difficult, what will he do to go back to these cities that relentlessly attacked and persecuted the preachers? Because the gospel ministry is no place for those who are unsure that they want to be doing it. And so Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them and not gone with them to the work. But Barnabas, Barnabas desired to take uh, John with them. And I think we can understand why. You know, Barnabas, he was the one who, who recognized God's grace in Paul soon after his conversion when so many people doubted, you see. And it may be that Barnabas saw the same signs of God's grace and the work of the Spirit in John. Or perhaps Barnabas wanted to mentor this young cousin and young believer so that he would grow in courage and strength. Or perhaps Barnabas had a soft spot for his kinsman that blinded him to John's lack of calling. Uh, Truth be told, it's difficult to tell. What is clear is that neither men, neither Paul nor Barnabas, could entertain the idea that the other person spoke with biblical conviction and wisdom. And they were both absolutely unyielding to the wishes and counsel of a beloved brother and colleague. You know what this was? This was a sad moment of failure, made no less sad by the fact that God, God used their division to produce two missionary teams out of one, You know, God is always redeeming our weaknesses. God is always bringing good out of our mess. God is always causing our failures to even produce good fruit. That being said, our weaknesses and failures are exactly that, weaknesses and failures. And there's nothing to be boasted of in them per se. So what we are witnessing here is a sad moment of failure. And so that brings us to the third and the last point. The beauty of gospel ministry. The beauty of gospel ministry. So who was in the right? Was it Paul? He insisted that if you turn from the Lord and if you turn from the gospel ministry, you need to stay out. (laughs) Was he right? Or was it Barnabas to insist that a young believer may often stumble and fail, but that does not mark the end of his usefulness to the Lord? Who was in the right? Well, I think they were both right in their convictions. 
And they were both wrong in their unbalanced zeal. Now, what warrants that conclusion that they were both right in one way and in a different way that they were both wrong? Well, it's because we know of another disciple who turned from following Jesus. Once, twice, and three times, Peter denied Jesus. And in the aftermath of his denial, Peter was so deeply ashamed. You see, he, he knew what he had done. He knew that he denied Jesus because he was afraid of the cross that he would have to bear to be Jesus' disciple. And he was so ashamed. And he did not think that he had any right to serve Jesus. And he returned to his old life of fishing. But there on the shores of Galilee, the risen Jesus found Peter. And we read about this in John chapter 21. And Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus is asking him about his old life to which he had returned. Do you love me? Then this, that this little comfort zone that you have retreated into. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? What is Jesus doing? Jesus came to Peter, who was greatly ashamed. But Jesus, at the same time, knew that Peter did love Jesus. But that in a moment of uh, fear, that he turned his back on the Lord Jesus, despite loving him. And so at this point, Peter's love for Jesus, which was genuine and real, are buried under a mountain of shame and regret and sorrow. And so Jesus says to Peter, Simon, do you love me? What's he doing? He's fanning the flame, fanning the embers of Peter's love for Jesus so that they could burn bright once again and be no longer be weighed down the burden and the shame of his failures. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You see, denying Jesus was a grave failure. And yet in God's grace, Peter would serve the Lord, whom he loved deeply, but betrayed in his fear. Nevertheless, uh, Peter was not rushed into ministry. Jesus put him through a heart-searching confession, and only then he was restored to ministry. And what this tells us is that God can use even those who have failed but the process should not be rushed. And it seems to me maybe Paul forgot that. 
that God can use even those who have failed. And maybe Barnabas was pushing it. Maybe he was rushing the process. They both had biblical convictions, but their zeal was unbalanced. And so comes the beauty now. You see, what Paul did not think possible, what Barnabas had hoped, did indeed happen. Because some years later, Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And again, he, Paul writes in Philemon verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, my fellow workers. What happened? You know, it's interesting that we no longer hear from or of Barnabas after Acts chapter 15. But his ministry and presence are felt in Mark's growth and reconciliation with Paul. What happened? Jesus loved John Mark. Though John had turned from Jesus, Jesus had not turned from him. And Jesus loved Barnabas and answered his longing and his prayers for John Mark. And Jesus loved Paul. And so Paul received back a brother that was lost to him. And I have no doubt that Paul marveled at God's grace. And Jesus loves you too. Our best heroes are deeply flawed. Even Paul, yes. Even Barnabas. All of our heroes have feet of clay. But Jesus, he is strong. And Jesus, he is good. And Jesus saves sinners. And so if you find yourself like John, and you are deeply aware how you have let the Lord down, that you have faltered, that you have failed him. Know this, loved ones. Jesus loves you. And he came to save sinners. Amen. Now let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that where even the best of your servants are weak and flawed and they falter, you are steadfast. You never change and you never have let us down and you will never let us down. And so, Lord Jesus, I plead and I intercede for your precious children in this place. 
who carry with them the painful memories of their failures, their, their stumblings, that they would find your joyful and wondrous grace, that they would find freedom from fear and regret, and that you would fan into a flame their love for you. For we pray these in your precious name. Amen.